0: One of our young scientists had the courage to say say to me, she said, you know, you you may be not white, you may be gay, but don't hold yourself up as the poster child for diversity, because with all due respect, you think exactly the way Clorox expects an executive to think. Mm. Wow. And it was an eye-opener for me.
2: Hey, everybody. Jason Patria here, and you are listening to a very special episode of the Lead With Your Brand podcast. Now, as you know, in celebration of LGBTQ plus Pride Month, I am partnering with a fabulous organization called Out and Equal Workplace Advocates, and I'm so excited to welcome you to our very first in a special series of roundtable discussions about being LGBTQ plus in your career. Now, I am A huge fan of Out and Equal workplace advocates because I went to my very first Out and Equal workplace summit way back in 2005 in Denver, Colorado, and that was the first time that I had been at a really, really huge conference full of LGBTQ plus folks that were working in corporate America, and it really inspired me to take the leadership role in my employee resource group at both NBC Universal. And General Electric, who at the time, uh, owned the company. Now, Out and Equal is such a great organization because they are all about helping us create out and equal workplaces. And the Out and Equal team has done an amazing job creating a discussion guide that goes along not only with this special roundtable show, but also our five weekly episodes in June featuring all amazing executives and leaders who just happen to identify as LGBTQ+. So make sure that you download the free guide at leadwithyourbrand.com backslash pride to get your copy and have a great coffee talk with your employee resource group or your friends. Now, in today's special episode, we are exploring the intersection of race and being LGBTQ plus in your career and at work. Now, you all know that this is a topic that is... Is very special to me. Growing up as a multiracial person with a white mom and a dad that is Filipino Hawaiian and Hispanic, I know exactly what it's like to come from a family where people are all sorts of different shades of color, and then layer that with knowing that I was a member of the LGBTQ plus community as a really young kid and ultimately coming out in high school and working my very first jobs right out of school as an openly LGBTQ Plus person. Now, I am joined today by two incredible guests for this amazing discussion. Now, the first guest is Patty Dingle, who is the head of Diversity and Inclusion Americas at BNY Mellon. And she is responsible for leading the region's engagement in BNY's global DNI strategy, ensuring that DNI is integrated into business and client initiatives, and overseeing their partner network to optimize a diverse talent pipeline and professional development opportunities and outcomes. Now, Patty works a ton with senior leaders and the employee and business resource groups as they accelerate their focus and actions on supporting the underrepresented talent, including Black and Latinx employees. Now, prior to joining BNY Mellon, Patty was with Visa, where she focused on similar initiatives and played an integral role in designing an underrepresented represented talent strategy. Our second guest is Dr. Riza Rahaman, who is the Bernard M. Gordon Industry Co-Director and Senior Lecturer at the Gordon MIT Program in Engineering Leadership. Now, Dr. Rahaman returned to MIT in 2018 after a 29-year career in the consumer packaged goods, pharmaceuticals, and agricultural chemical industries. Immediately prior to MIT, Riza was the Vice President of research, development, and innovation for the specialty division of the Clorox Company, where he was accountable for developing innovation strategies for a diverse set of businesses, including Brita, Burt's Bees, Glad, Hidden Valley Ranch, Fresh Step, and Kingsford Charcoal. Now, Reza is passionate about workplace equality. He was previously the executive sponsor of the Clorox Pride Employee Resource Group, and he's a proud member of the Board of Directors of Out and Equal Workplace Advocates. I'll be back in just a couple of moments with my conversation about the intersection of race, ethnicity, and the LGBTQ community in just a moment. Happy LGBTQ Plus Pride Month, everyone. It is June, and I still remember marching in my first Pride Parade with the University of Southern California. All the way back in 1992. But you know, even though most of our pride celebrations in person have been canceled, it is still a great time to do a little bit of self-reflection and personal development. Now, the Lead With Your Brand podcast has partnered with the Out and Equal Workplace Advocates, an incredible organization that advocates for workplace equality. And each week in June, we'll be featuring an Out Leader with an amazing career story and personal brand journey to share. In addition, I'll be hosting two special roundtable episodes of Lead With Your Brand, where we will explore issues around the trans experience and the intersectionality of race and ethnicity and being LGBTQ in the workplace. Now, Out and Equal will be providing discussion guides for each of our shows. So we encourage you to use the podcast as a virtual book club with your employees resource group or a group of friends. Listen to the episodes and then schedule your own group discussion with the discussion guide as part of your pride programming and celebration. Make sure you check out leadwithyourbrand.com backslash pride for more information and to hear some of our favorite shows from season one and two that feature LGBTQ leaders, including the fantastic CEO of Out and Equal, Aaron Uritas. Happy Pride, everyone. And we are back. I am super excited for our special roundtable discussion on the intersection of race and LGBTQ plus in the workplace. And I am here with MIT's Riza Rahman and BNY Mellon's Patty Dingle. Riza and Patty, how are you guys doing today? Jay's hey, Excited. Well.
3: <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having
2: me. Of course. And and we are here to have an awesome conversation. So let's kick off. I want to ask both of you, when you first meet people, how do you introduce yourself? What's that elevator pitch that you use? And since people can't see us, tell us a little bit about how you identify in the LGBTQ plus community, as well as your other community that you're a member of. Patty, I'm going to start with you.
3: Oh, okay. Start with me. Well, you know, I think if people Could see me, I'm not quite sure what they would perceive me as. And so a lot of times I meet folks, and usually you start with what you do, right? People want to know what you do. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion leader at BNY Mellon, and I'm responsible for that work in the Americas region, which is super fun, super exciting, especially right now. And then usually I will lead into a little bit more about the work, right? So I'll talk about what we're doing around the black community, the Latinx community, the Asian community, which are pretty much the areas of focus at the moment. And then today is about intersectionality, right? And so a lot of times when people look at me, they're not quite sure what my makeup is. And so I have, and I, I still do, I add my mother's maiden name to my name because it is a very subtle nudge to let people know that I am Half Japanese or Japanese, and then because of the work that I do, I usually slide in there that my dad is black, and so we like to call ourselves Blasians. (laughs) Community of folks, there's a lot of us, by the way. And frankly, as far as my sexual orientation, I talk about my wife very freely. I will usually share with people my pronouns um, as well. So. Sometimes it's really upfront and straightforward, depending on the environment and who I'm talking to. And sometimes I just weave it in into
2: the conversation. Absolutely. Well, welcome, Patty and and Reza.
0: Tell us about you. So when I meet people, again, like Patty, start with, you know, what do I do? So I lead the Gordon MIT Engineering Leadership Program. And so that leads to one of the things that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about developing leaders. But then I also tell them I came back to MIT, which is my alma mater, after spending 30 years in the wilderness of industry. And in the wilderness of industry, you know, I spent all of my time developing great product but the thing I was most proud of was developing the leaders who I coached and mentored to then pay it forward. I also tell them that I am passionate about diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and that that comes from a place of two very disparate things. One is my own personal story. So like Patty, uh, I'm a little bit of a racial mix-up. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm part Arab and part Indian. And what's funny is that in the world pre-video, I would have these conversations on the phone with people, and the first time I would meet them, they would go, oh, you don't look at all what I thought you would look like. Uh (laughs) Uh We know what that means. <laughs> so, so it's the, it's the my own personal and, and we'll talk about the intersection of, of race and identity. And for me, it was race, identity, and religion. And so there's, there's all of that hit coming together. The other piece though, I spent 30 years as an innovation leader and I am passionate about the belief that diversity, inclusion, and belonging powers innovation. And so my passion for this work comes both from a personal story and from an effectiveness story in terms of driving innovation. Like Patty, um, you know, my husband and I have been together for 22 years now, and he just he flows naturally into the conversation. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. you know, I, uh, I identify as he, him, his, or more because of the makeup of our students now you'll see that uh when i'm at mit you'll usually see he him and l because the el covers both him and his in spanish and so uh, so a lot of our latinx community are like okay so how include me in your pronouns
3: (laughs) i love that i wrote that down i love that
0: And
2: everyone listening, you can write that down, write that down too. Now, the great thing, the reason why I wanted to talk to both of you is we all met at Out and Equal because it's such an amazing organization that is really at the forefront of driving inclusion and equity for LGBTQ plus people in the workspace. So I have to kick off at Pride Month and really ask you two to share, how has being out in your career impacted your success?
3: That's a great question because you said impacted your success. I love that approach to the question. So, Risa, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to share a little bit of that.
0: Absolutely. Go for it.
3: Listen, I'm in the diversity, equity, inclusion space, right? A <laughs> uh, Part of my job is to help communities of people be seen. And because I'm part of the community, multiple communities, I think – my ability to understand and literally walk in their shoes. I mean, it, it's just provides me with the opportunity cause I'm at, I'm the one at the table, right? And I'm able to share that perspective. And because I'm sharing that perspective, I'm literally trying to get people to understand what it's like to be in other shoes. And these are people that are, you know, part of the majority most of the time. And that has driven my success because in a way where some people are not at the table, they're not in that seat of influence. I think I've been able to really move things and shift things in a way that is aligned with the business. It's aligned with our employees feeling valued and feeling like they belong. But also it's kind of like one of those things when your employees know that you're part of their tribe, there's a trust factor there Mm -hmm. that you may be privy to things that others may not know. And I can take that and that can help influence maybe programs, initiatives, efforts, et cetera. So I think success is the, the relative word here. And I think any time an employee comes to you and says, thank you. Uh, I never felt like this before anywhere else. We have a lot of big wins every day, a lot of little wins every day. And I think we miss that. And so success for me comes in a lot of forms but that trust factor and knowing what people are going through is the
2: differentiator. And, and Reza, go t- talk to us. So you, you kicked us off about it being about innovation. So as someone that focuses on innovation, how has being out been successful for you?
0: So I, I think it's been critical, but I want to start one step back because I'll say that for the latter part of my career, sort of truly living my authentic self at that intersection has been a critical part of why I've been as successful as I was. But I also want to make sure that people know that this has been a journey. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't feel like this is where you are now, don't beat yourself up for it. Um, You know, when I started, there were two very disparate things that I needed to figure out. One was just coming to terms with my authentic self for myself, as someone who is non-white, who is gay, and who is Muslim, I was an internal bundle of contradictions, just trying to figure out how I came to that. And then secondarily to that, it's this concept of how do I find the right place for me? Mm-hmm. I think oh. like a lot of college students when they uh, you know leave school – I was interested in terms of, was I going to be doing interesting work? Where was I going to be geographically? Uh What's the company's reputation? How much was I going to be paid? At the time, I didn't pay any attention to what was the culture going to be like at a place that I was going to spend eight plus hours a day. And I'll tell you, that was a mistake because I landed in a place that was a good old boy network Mm. where... I didn't look like anybody else and nobody sort of maybe wanted to make me feel like I belong. And so I think it took a while before what was distinctly a disadvantage at the start of my career, I became comfortable enough to own it and to make it an advantage. And so, you know, the one of the lessons that I would leave with, with the, the listeners is sometimes if you look around you and you realize you're in the wrong place, then find a better place. Uh Because you deserve a place where you can live your authentic self. But, you know, fast forward. Yes, coming out was about being more comfortable myself, because to the to the extent that I don't have to waste all that emotional energy, I can be way more effective. I'm not doing stuff that I don't need to. But at some point, that switch flipped. And it wasn't just about me. It was about helping others to make the same journey that I'd made. And that journey was long and painful. And if I could help them make it <laughs> a little less long and a little less painful, then that was great. Yeah. And, and I think there there were there were a couple of things that really sort of, you know, telling the story. One was, uh, Jason, I know you've seen a video that I did for Out and Equal a while ago. It yeah. seems like a lifetime ago. And at the end of that video, I remember coming down and there was this fairly young boy who walked up to me and he was just absolutely crying. And I looked at him and he was this blonde haired, blue eyed boy, and he could see the confusion in my, my face. And he said to me, you don't know it, but the story that you just told about coming to terms with yourself being gay and being Muslim, I come from a Mormon family in Utah and you just told my story. And so I think the big realization for me is that even for those of us who come from intersectionally disadvantaged positions, we can make assumptions about others. And so really trying to figure out the totality of everyone else and finding those points of intersection can be incredibly powerful. And then the second one, when we rebooted our innovation program, and we wanted to use diversity as one as its center points at Clorox, the consultant that we hired was blind. And when you go into a room with members of a leadership team you've worked with for years, and all of a sudden you're made to put blinders on so you can't see their reactions, it really gives you a completely different perspective on disadvantage and what it takes to get to belonging. And In one of our back and forths, one of our young scientists had the courage to say say to me, she said, you know, you you may be not white, you may be gay, but don't hold yourself up as the poster child for diversity, because with all due respect, you think exactly the way Clorox expects an executive to think. Mm. And it was an eye opener for me, because I suddenly realized that, you know, in terms of diversity driving success... It's really encompassing every bit of that diversity in everyone you interact with, bring it to the table and let those disparate points of view disagree with each other in a way that is passionate and in service of the mission and amazing things happen. And what I will tell everyone out there is if you haven't felt that yet, the first time you feel it, it is addictive and you will (laughs) never let it go.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I understand that. I mean, I think a big piece of that, and I learned this a long time ago, is we have to always be humanly respectful to one another. You know, when you do that and you approach things that way, when there's tension or when there's disagreement or when there are opposing opinions, you know, and you assume positive intent and you have positive intent and you use appreciative inquiry, you know, asking people to help you understand you tend to get where you're trying to go in a way, and it's not faster. This, this takes a long time, right? But you don't have to course correct as much. You don't have to pivot as much. I think a lot of times with this work, we expect these big results quickly because that's just the nature of the businesses that, you know, that are out there and the business that I'm in work fast, work furious. The jobs are very demanding, But I think the human aspect of it is critical, whether you're inventing something or you're dealing with a
2: client or what have you.
3: So humanly respectful is something that I keep in my back pocket and
2: always knowing that there's a solution. I want to talk a little bit about careers and and really about your professional brand. And I know at Out and Equal, we talk all the time about bringing your best authentic self to work. So I wanted to hear from both of you. How do you bring that authenticity forward without getting pigeonholed as the LGBTQ person or the black person or the Muslim person? How, How do you get past being seen as, you know, the label to really bringing who you are and the value you bring forward?
0: Yeah, Patty. Why didn't you go first?
3: Well, Jason, I have to attribute a lot of my growth to you around brand because you know your sessions, leading with your brand, really exposed me to some things that I would never even think about, right? Because, mm-hmm. and and the growth has been exponential due to the fact that you know I, I when I started in this space, you know that authentic self was literal. I just shared earlier that Saturday, Patty doesn't show up on Monday, but. I was letting Saturday Patty show up on Monday early in my career, and that was not good.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess that's the best authentic self part Uh, when we say the best, right? too authentic. But I think it's
3: head to toe. And the reason why I say that is we are not not ourselves if we change our appearance because we know we are going to be meeting with executives. Uh, We are not our authentic selves if we – maybe change our vernacular a little bit, depending on who we're in front of. And so when it comes to brand, I think, you know, you have to be nimble and flexible and understand that those are your, there are multiple authentic selves, but it's really smart when you could read the room and adjust yourself to get what you need to get right and mm-hmm. so i'm going to meet people where they are it's about the strategy i'm going to meet people where they are and also if i find out that you know you love x y and z i might even start the conversation with that you know and if i have a connection with that because there's nothing greater than making a personal connection with someone in the business world because then you ha- you're in you're kind of in right And then you could, as I say, I like to throw the hook out, hook them, and then reel them in. And then once you hook Mm. them and reel them in, then you could start talking about maybe some of the things that may be a little bit uncomfortable or some of the things that are a little bit deeper, building the relationship with folks so this idea but you got
2: to hook them, of, them first you got to right? hook
3: them first and you have to figure out how to do that and you're not going to do that if you show up in a business environment with cargo shorts on and Birkenstocks you know people just aren't going to take you seriously right and yeah. and and this is and and listen this is not to put down folks that feel very strongly that that's who they are and that's her, how they're going to show up but we have to be conscious about how others perceive us right it's kind of a bit of a game frankly and you're not selling out you're not doing any of that you're in my opinion you're being smart about it right and then when you're at the table you talk about those other things so that that's kind of my approach to the brand piece but jason you've been
2: incredibly helpful for me to really understand that well thank you you know thank you reza what about you how do you how do you not get pigeonholed and how do you get seen for all of the cool things that you bring
0: So uh, I'll I'll also borrow a a little Jason uh, uh, lead with your brand, (laughs) and so my approach is I'm Starbucks, but when but when I'm in Miami, there's nothing better than a cafe con leche. That is right.
3: Yeah, I was going to say cafecito. That's exactly right. That's right.
0: Yeah. So the thing that defines my brand. I think, is an approach to everything that I do. And the way that I articulate it is I am relentlessly dissatisfied with the status quo Mm. and yet relentlessly optimistic about our ability to get to a better place. Wow. And in doing that, I always try to be authentic and vulnerable. And that means that at some points in the discussion that we're having, I'm going to draw on my experience as a non-white person. In some places, I'm going to draw on my experiences as an LGBTQ person. In some places, I'm going to draw on my experiences as a Muslim person. But I am going to be as open as I can to reference all of those pieces and bring them together as a coherent whole so that there are lots of things about me that, you know, and there are lots of things about everyone I think we we don't understand fully each other's stories. The things that we've been talking about, even as big as they are, are still only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And to the extent that I can help them understand that I'm not perfect, I'm vulnerable, it helps them to be the same. And that's really, I think, what moves that away from us being pigeonholed as the gay person or the BIPOC person to hopefully this person's an exceptional leader and they happen to be gay and they happen to be a person of color so that's that's how i do it
2: yeah and so let's let's talk a little bit about the intersections of being both a person of color and even a person of faith and being a member of the lgbtq plus community how does it show up for for the two of you <laughs> Ooh,
0: goodness for me it's just being open and honestly um, being willing to have conversations that are not always comfortable for those around you. And I think it's a couple of things. It's one being willing to have those conversations yourself, but also setting uh, an expectation that you want people to engage with you and that there are no stupid questions. You're not going to make them feel, but you know, a lot of my friends and family who are Muslim have a hard time with me being gay. A lot of my gay friends have a hard time with me being Muslim. And I'll tell you, when I first came out, I assumed that the LGBTQ plus world would be much more accepting of my racial diversity than the straight world was. And Patty probably you know, knows this as well. You come out and you realize that that's anything but the truth, that there there is there's all of this sort of expectation of white privilege that exists in the gay world as well and that we have to deal with. And so, you know, it's I remember talking to one of my students and there were all of these questions coming from a lot of the women in the class. And and yet there was nothing you know, from the guys. And I said, is this not important to you? Does this not resonate with you? And his comment was, as a straight white male, I don't know how to enter this conversation without saying the wrong thing. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if I want to move myself along and move an organization along, yes, it's on them to, to lean in and want to listen, but it's also on me to help create a culture that allows them to do that and you know, I loved Patty's comment about humanizing in a respectful way relationships, because I think that's how we get progress. That's how the LGBT community has got progress. That's how so many of the communities of people of color have got progress to the extent that others can see us in our whole identity as not just LGBTQ, as not just people of color, but, as little points of light in that beautiful mosaic of life where everyone can shine in their own particular color, that's how we get to a better place. So for me, that's been sort of the, I want to show up not just as someone who's not white, not as someone who's gay, not as someone who's Muslim, not just as a leader or an innovation person, but I want to show up as someone who can help, connect with people and help them understand how they can get to a place that they are that accepting and open to others too. Uh Mm. uh
3: And I want to add to that, that I think it comes from multiple places as far as identity, right? And, and we're not even talking about perceived identity and listen, the, the LGBTQ community, in my opinion, is incredibly segregated. And there's a lot of labels in there, right? And in the black community, for me, some may not see me as black enough. In the Asian community, not Asian enough. Uh, I don't speak Japanese, so that's not very good either for the Japanese community. So, you know, people need to understand how complicated it is. Identity is incredibly complicated. And there are times when we're not, not being authentic when people see different sides of us, and that's what drives me kind of crazy, is when people go, "Oh, you're, <laughs> you're not yourself today." What do you mean? You're just seeing a different side of me. I'll share this quick story with you. As an elementary school kid, it was a time when you had to like fill out the forms and put your ethnicity. At that time, you could only check one. Can you imagine how I yeah. felt? Like, and then the administrator told me pick black. Cause that's what your dad is. And I'm all, excuse me. Uh, doesn't make sense. So even the two or more is better, but it's not, it's just not right. Right. It's just not right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the funny thing for me is even though many, I have the privilege of being really light skinned and, and passing for white, especially if I'm wearing prof- professional clothes, like having a white mom myself and then a dad who's Hispanic and Asian Pacific Islander coming coming from territorial Hawaii, I kind of like grew up with everyone being like, well, what are you? And it what was almost like it was easier to class me as as gay because I felt like I was more visibly gay than what they could actually put a label on kind of back in the in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And we do
3: and we do it the other way, right? We all have met, run into people where we're like, are they gay? Are they not gay? They kind of seem gay. Where do we even get that from, right? <laughs> and, and, and 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 you know, it, it is so prevalent because we for some reason as humans, we need to I we need to know people's identity. From what I I still don't know why, but we do it every day. Oh. Hmm. I always get the, oh, that's interesting. That's exotic. But if you knew, if I, if you knew where I grew up, I grew, grew up next to a military base down on the Monterey Peninsula in a little town called Seaside. And I pulled out my third grade class picture and everyone looked like me except for two blonde, fair skinned students. So I grew up with the opposite. I was the yeah. majority.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, this classification thing is is interesting or putting people in boxes. You know, when I was running the LGBTQ plus employee resource group over at NBC Universal, I was always so fascinated when we did big diversity events. People only perceived the white men there to be part of the LGBTQ plus community and all of the members that were people of color or women, they were like, Oh, well, you're part of Unidos or you're part yeah. of the API group or you're part of the women's network. And, and, and those members would literally be saying like, no, I'm part of pride. I'm part of LGBTQ plus because mm-hmm. it was almost what people didn't expect that right?
3: perception.
0: And that takes me to, to, two two really interesting places. So the, the first is this sort of the, How do you get past that perception? And sort of, you know, we say um, for many of us coming out as LGBTQ is not something you do once, but something you do hundreds and hundreds of times. Coming out as LGBT plus and also authentically with all of the other dimensions is a coming out process, even to those who you've already come out with on the LGBTQ. And so it, it is it's a constant, I think, dialogue and helping people to to understand. And I think the other piece of it is in the same way that we talk about how do you support the LGBTQ community to allies, we need to be able to speak to our brothers and sisters in the LGBT community and say what does it take to be good allies to each other's diversity, yeah. mm-hmm. even within the LGBTQ plus community? Because even within our community, there are such differences of privilege and disadvantage. And there are parts of our community that no matter how much we feel we may have been disadvantaged are suffering so much more than we are. And we need to embrace them wholly and fully because at the end of the day, if any of us is not equal, if any of us doesn't belong, none of us are equal and none of us truly belong.
3: Yeah. And I would add that to your point, understanding the inequities, because just because you're, you're let's just say, a gay white man, you're not going to understand my struggle. You're really not. And so, how to be an ally when you need an ally. I think is really important, but it's also really educating yourselves around the suffering that, you know, African-Americans, black Americans have gone through because empathy is the key here. We're not saying that one is suffered more than the others, but let's face it in your, in your shoes, someone may, someone may feel that in their shoes, right? Like no one can argue with me that the black community is the only community that were ever stolen from their land and and created, you know, this United States, as we call it. But at the same time, I'm not going to make it seem like that that overshadows what your suffering was. I I hope that makes sense because I've heard people go try to connect so much with folks. They're like trying to connect where they're like, "Well, well, I'm gay. Well, no, thank you. But it's very different right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very different. So we got to be aware of that.
0: Even for us on our own personal journeys, you know, if I think about 30 plus years ago, when I was first coming out, I could never hide the fact that I was non-white, even though people could never figure out how to cate- categorize it. <laughs> uh-huh.
3: Yeah, true.
0: 30 plus years ago, if someone asked me, what was the, the the thing of the rest of your identity that scared you the most? it would have been being LGBTQ Uh Mm. in the last four years. If someone had asked me what scares you more, it wasn't being LGBTQ. It was being Muslim. And so I think just understanding that for each of us, even on the various facets of our being, it will change over time in terms of what perceived advantage or disadvantage looks like.
3: Yeah. And depending on where you are too.
0: Absolutely. I
3: worked, I was in Dubai and I, would be oftentimes in my Uber and they would ask about my husband. And I was not gonna b- sit there and go, this is a coachable moment. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's fine. And fortunately, yeah. my, wife, my wife's name is Robin. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't feel like I wasn't being authentic. I was just
2: being safe. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So,
2: so, so tell, talk to me a little bit about allyship. What is something – give me an example of where someone that you know has been a great ally in the space to help bring your full self to work. Can I just share – I got to share this. I have one of the most
3: amazing leaders at BNY that – listen, I think it, it's as simple as this. She's approachable. She uses the right terms. She does it in a way where it's not awkward, but she, you know, she practiced, right? Like getting, making sure the LGBTQA and what that means, putting her pronouns, talking to other people about, oh, you know, Patty and her wife, yada, yada. So it's to a point where we were saying earlier, like how we just weave it in, she weaves it in. Like, it's like conversation and she doesn't make a big deal out of it, but that's a great, Inclusion nudge when you don't make a big deal out of it in a room full of people that think it's a big
0: deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, so that yeah. that to me is like the best thing an ally can do.
0: You know, and I'll tell two really quick stories. So the first one, you know, early on in my career at Clorox, my husband James didn't really like to associate much with the Clorox folks. He'd be like, <laughs> No, 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 they keep, keep that. That's said
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, of,
0: one of our right. friends, who was a marketing director, was a really good friend of ours, had traveled very much with us, and she was having her 40th birthday party, and she she said, hey, I want James to come to this. And I said, Beata, if you can get James to agree to more power to you, we're coming. <laughs> and of course she did. She And while we were there, the woman who at the time was Clorox's chief operating officer came up to me and she said, hey, I hear that your partner's here because that was before we could be married. I really want to meet him. And it seems like just in that one moment, I think it finally hit home that I was in a place where the fact that I was LGBTQ wouldn't stand in the way of my career Mm. and that she was interested in all of me. And so that just sort of simple act, you know, to, to Patty's point of human just human kindness and respect was was an incredible piece of allyship and then the second you know the person who was my boss at the chief innovation officer at the time at Clorox Wayne Delker became the executive sponsor for Clorox Pride employee resource group before i took over that and you know we we for pride we give out you know all of the the stickers you can put out everything like most companies do and he came a couple of months later and he says I did I did an experiment and I need to tell you about it. Mm. He oh. said I put a rainbow sticker on my attaché case and he goes I don't think I would ever have imagined how different people can perceive it and react differently to it sometimes subtly and sometimes not at all. Oh. And for someone who wasn't a part of the community to just sort of actively try to do something to at least get some empathy for what it felt like was amazing. And so when you talk about active allyship, it's those who are willing to really try to understand. And that might be in ways as simple as having the discussions or in ways of saying, hey, how can I put myself in those shoes even for a little bit? And so those stand out to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and what are some things that you actively do to be an ally to others? What are things that you have found really successful?
0: So I I think a couple of things. So the world that we're living in now, and particularly where I am now at MIT, what I tell my students is that the world has come too far. And even though our progress may be fragile and not irreversible, they have too much going for them to settle for anything less Mm. than their complete authenticity and to encourage them to ask the right questions. And every company has a glossy website that tells you they do DEI right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I tell them there's a very big difference in an answer. If you say, hey, I've noticed that you don't have many LGBTQ executives or female executives, and the answer you get back is we know and it's a problem and this is what we're doing to help address it. And we need your help to come on board and help us move the needle. That's a very different answer to, you know, it's really hard to source LGBT <laughs> talent and, and female <laughs> talent. Yeah, yeah, totally. And totally. In those answers are completely different. But what I also want them to understand is they are, they're passionate and they're idealistic and they don't yet understand why the world that they see should be isn't yet. And so what I help to try to, to let them understand is to give them a, a framework of the world that it is, to go with the framework of the world they want to be, because context helps them to be change agents. Uh-huh. Yes. It helps them to understand how to move that to a place. And so I would say, as a mentor and as an ally, It's trying to understand for each of their individual situations what might help them to fully bring their authenticity to their daily lives and how they might use that authenticity to help change the world for the better.
3: I I have no choice. I have to do that work. I call myself an accomplice. Like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to drive the getaway car for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to ask you any questions. I'm just going to trust you. You jump in and where you need to go. Uh, but seriously, I, I for me, picking up the phone when someone needs to talk, letting them know that I got their back all the time. I think I spend a lot of time just kind of individually talking to people and I connect the dots. and And a great example of that is I've been in this this space for a long time and I know a lot of people and someone comes to me and says they need X, Y, Z. Okay, let me connect you. So it's that constant hustle of not only connecting people within my community, but also if someone is saying, hey, I, I have this challenge or I have this opportunity, it's helping them figure out how to navigate. So it's very like action oriented, right? And then there's also the other pieces about, constantly correcting people, coachable moments, we could say, with their, with, with me even language, right? I I think I, the other day I was telling people that, you know, black is now, you capitalize black now when you're talking about the black community. (laughs) And, you know, it's that constant kind of push to be an accomplice. And I, and I, or even a co-disruptor, I know um, I've heard that used quite a bit. And I, cause I think ally has been overused People have put like active ally in front of it. There's, there's the performative stuff that's going on, et cetera. Yeah. But, but you don't need to say you're an ally. Just do it. Just do the work.
2: Yeah. Show yeah. it, right? Show it. So time flies so quickly. Time flies. Give me your best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners.
3: I think the best thing I can share with folks is I learned this from a diversity practitioner years and years and years ago. Listen to everyone as if they were wise.
0: Ooh, I love that. Riza, what about you? So my advice is be yourself fully. There is only one of you. There is no one in this world who has the same intersection of experiences and talents that you do. It's those intersections that make you unique. And to the extent that you try to suppress any of them, You suppress something that is beautiful and powerful about yourself. So no matter how painful it might sometimes seem to be to really embrace all of yourself and bring all of yourself to the table, it's absolutely worth it.
2: Well, Riza Rahman and Patty Dingle, thank you for bringing all of your yeah! fabulous self and intersections to the conversation. It was great talking to both of you.
3: Thank you for having
0: me. Jason, it's always a pleasure interacting with you. Patty. it's so great to see you again.
1: Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level?
2: Wow. What an amazing conversation about the intersections of race, ethnicity, and the LGBTQ plus community with BNY Mellon's Patty Dingle and MIT's Dr. Riza Rahaman. You know, I really took away this whole notion that authenticity is about embracing all aspects of your identity and celebrating them as part of your personal brand. It's also about understanding that those around you are multifaceted and come with different backgrounds and different lived histories than yourself, and they all impact their brands and how each of us shows up every single day. I know that you're going to show up every single day leading with your brand in a way that helps other people show up with their brands and and amplify their amazing stories. Well, that's our show for this week. Make sure that you tune in next week for another amazing episode of the Lead With Your Brand podcast. Make sure that you have subscribed or are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out for our next special episode, which is all about the transgender experience in the workplace. And check out leadwithyourbrand.com backslash pride to get all of the details and download your discussion guide that you can talk about with your employee resource group or your circle of friends until next time make sure in your career you're never a boring old commodity like coffee make sure you're a super premium brand like starbucks
1: You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.